Welcome to episode one of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. I am Josh Folan, and as will always be the case, I am talking today with a very talented filmmaker who works in the um, low to micro budget filmmaking realm. Uh, today I'm talking to Kate Cordelou, who is a producer and a lead actor on the feature film Ask for Jane. And uh, full disclosure, I, <laughs> I'm starting very close to home with the first couple of episodes of this of this pod and talking to filmmakers who I'm currently working with. I am also a producer on Ask for Jane. Uh, so, hence some of the familiarity with uh, questions and answers that, that Kate and I get into in this. So, uh, let's get rolling. I'm here with uh, Kate Cortelio. 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 Like courtly up. That's actually one of the one of the chief things I wanted to find out from this <laughs> was the exact and have on record the, the exact pronunciation of that because I'm not sure I've ever gotten it right. No, um, no one from New York does. Yeah, which is funny because we shot on Cortell U. Yeah, Street. Well, and that's, <laughs> it's named after my great plus grandpa Jacques yeah. Cortelio, who made the first map of the city of New York. But our family says Cortelio. Does the name of that street have any? It's named after him, but people just pronounce it Cortelio. It's named after him. Mm-hmm. How I mean, how the fuck did I know that? I feel like I've heard the story of it having to do with your family member, but mm-hmm. I didn't know that that street actually had a link to that. Yeah. Well, let's, there we go. I'm learning stuff already. That's the point of this. Uh, okay, so yes, I'm here with Kate Cortell. You, uh, I'm Josh <laughs> Polin, uh, and we are actually at the San Francisco Indie Fest, mm-hmm. uh, the 2019 San Francisco Indie Fest. Uh, for full disclosure, for episode one of this, I'm talking to... Uh, the human being that I produced uh, a film with, or I'm, I guess, in the tail end of producing a film with. So, starting uh, slow, I guess, with, with guest choices here. Um, but, uh, okay, so just getting into it. Um, as like a, a tone setter question, <laughs> what was the very first dollar that you earned as an entertainment professional? Uh, what was the job, and how did you come to it? Oh my god, I don't remember. Um... It was definitely you didn't massive. save the check or something? Like, I find that hard to believe. No, I feel, I feel like there were various, very small gigs. Well, okay, I feel like... I mean, I, that's fine. It can be like... Yeah, but I just don't remember. Because um, I, started, I started acting when I was eight. Okay. I also don't think I knew that. Yeah. Well, of any professional level, I assume probably you were... No, those weren't professional. They were... It was Shakespeare. Okay. It was this group in Wisconsin called the Young Shakespeare Players. So I did Shakespeare from ages eight to 16. And I left. I, did, I played Hamlet when I was 16. And then I left. Um, but the first money I made, probably like a short film or something. I feel like the first ongoing paid job I got was at Sleep No More. Okay. That was, that was very exciting. All right, we'll go with that. Yeah. And Sleep No More, yeah, that's amazing. What, just for fun shits and giggles, what, what was, I... talk about that job for a second. <laughs> It was weird. Well, I wasn't. I wasn't in. Well, the show explain proper. what Sleep No More was. Sleep No More is first. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So if people that. if people aren't familiar with Sleep No More, it's this uh, immersive theater in New York, and it's been this wild craze. It started in Boston, I think, and then it moved to New York, and it's sort of a mashup of Macbeth and uh, Hitchcock's Rebecca, the film, not the book. Um, so I always loved the the show, but this was not. I auditioned for the show, but I was not actually cast in the show proper. I was cast on the roof. So they have this rooftop garden called Gallo Green, and they had a bunch of immersive performers up there. So I was an herb girl, uh, 
so like sometimes it was really cool if people knew what was going on and they'd be like oh wow and they would like want my one-on-one like I'd give them this whole private monologue and I would take them around the garden and read their palms and like give them these herbs I was like oh you need something for love and I'd pick them some lavender and some rosemary but then other people were just there because it was like a rooftop bar and they'd be like why is this barefoot girl sitting at my table please go away (laughs) so it was cool it was beautiful sometimes like I had these really intense connections with people where they just relate to my story and then sometimes it was just fucking weird and kind of lonely because I was just by myself it wasn't like a group performance it was just me that's got a first uh, entertainment industry job should have some parts of it that are less than desirable that's Mm. how it's supposed to work (laughs) yeah (laughs) Okay, so the project, Ask for Jane, um, just as to, to, to give some context, give me your elevator pitch of what it is. Okay. Both like format and subject matter. Uh, ask for Jane. Uh, it's a Jane. I'm really good at this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ask for Jane is... Should have the title down by now. We've been hammering on it one, for like two one years. Would so. think, <laughs> one would think. One would think. It's a narrative feature film based on the true story of the Jane Collective. Um, It follows a group of women as they form an underground abortion network in the late 1960s, and they end up learning how to do the procedure themselves and helping over 11,000 women before Roe vs. Wade was passed in 73. Hmm. And how did you, and I know you're the creator of course, but how did you first come to the idea then, and how did you get it initially rolling as uh, a functional Mm -hmm. film project? Um, so I went to, I go to a lot of screenings and I went to a screening of a doc called She's Beautiful When She's Angry that the New York Women in Film and Television put on. And the doc was just about the history of feminism and women's liberation because those are things that I'm interested in. And for two minutes in the doc, they mentioned this group, the Jane Collective. And I was like, what the fuck? This is the most incredible story I've never heard. And like, I went to Barnard, which is an all women's college in New York. I, I'm, you know, the third generation of women in my family to volunteer with Planned Parenthood how have I never heard this story? Like, if anyone has, it should be me, and I haven't. So how many other people haven't? So I, I talked to the filmmaker a little bit after and learned some more, and I went home, and I started researching, and I just wrote out a treatment that night. Like, I've never done anything like that before. I just... It was it was honestly, like... I'm going to get a little woo-woo on you. It was like this this voice that was bigger than me was speaking inside of my head and telling me that I had to make a movie of this. Like, it felt very spiritual. And I was like, okay, well, I will do it then. So I, I wrote out a treatment, and then the next day I reached out to Rachel Carey, who I know from The Shelter, this theater company that we're part of, and I was like, hey, you're my favorite writer in Shelter, and I have this idea, can you meet for coffee? And she was like, sure. So we met up for coffee, and I showed her my little treatment, and I was like, this what is my it idea. It's typed. I typed okay. it up. I printed it up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was like on some sort of, I don't know. I uh, typed it napkin I, type deal or something. No, I, I typed I typed it up on my little. I had a little iPad Mini with a keyboard attached, so I typed it up on that, um, and I took a picture of it and put it on. It's on it's on Instagram. It's on my Instagram. Of like I just wrote it by first treatment. It's on there. It's pretty fun. <laughs> uh, just for clarification, what, what is getting a little woo woo on you? Oh, just like <laughs> I don't know. Some people get weird about the spiritual component of things, or like hearing that there's something bigger than you, or like the universe is speaking to you. But that's really how it felt. And that's but that's woo woo. I'm saying the actual yeah. definition of woo woo. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Like <laughs> spiritual. Okay. Uh, cool. All right. So um, that's just you know, I of course know all those things and have heard them a million times, but uh, 
just to give people an understanding of what the project is, uh, and the rest of the stuff is kind of much more nuts and bolts and specific, so hopefully it's not as boring. And, and, uh, when does my voice gen- memo story come then. in? What's that? <laughs> my voice memo story. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Whenever, if, it, if we don't get to it organically, okay, by all I'll means, bring it up. Bring it up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, uh, how much time was spent fundraising and uh, the sources and percentages of the sources? So, not numbers, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. but uh, actual like ratios. Um, where it came from. We started fundraising actively in March of 2017 uh, because it was Women's History Month, so I thought it would be a good time to launch a Seed and Spark campaign because this is such a women's history story. It seemed very well aligned. Um, so we did a Seed and Spark, which is a crowdfunding platform. It's like Kickstarter or Indiegogo, but specific to film. And I was like, this is going to go viral. Everyone's going to give us $1 and we're going to get funded in no time. It's going to be amazing. And that didn't happen. Very Kate mindset. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there were a lot of um, really, really supportive people who, even when our Seed and Spark failed, gave us the money afterwards. So I think, what percentage of that was it? Like 11%? Oh, yeah. Josh, you go ahead and answer this question. Percentage, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, what was the percentage? It would have been pretty close to, I think around to 10. 11. Yeah, yeah, 10 or 11. Yeah. Um, but before the fundraising, I uh, put together an investment packet. So I, I laid out, like I, I interviewed other people who know more than me and was like, hey, what do you do? And I got a couple of different investment packets and then compiled what I liked about each of them and made my own with pictures and the pictures were from a trailer that we shot. So we shot a trailer for a movie that didn't exist yet. Rachel wrote out just a two-page script for the trailer and we shot it in two days for free. Everything was free. The location was free. The actors did it for free. It was all free. Oh, um, was it? Wasn't that house? That was one of Philip's mm-hmm. houses. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so the house used... Uh, for that trailer also ended up being one of our key, 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 key free locations mm-hmm, in production, too. Mm-hmm. And some of the actors were still in the feature film, too. Latresa right. came Kelly. on. Katrina. Oh. Mm-hmm, Kelly. Um, yeah, so lots of just people who cared about the project and wanted to help us. So we, we had the investment packet, we had the trailer, and then after we launched the season Spark, I kept taking meetings. So I just, I went to the New York Women in Film and Television database for members, And I went through every single person one by one, it's like 2,000 plus women, and I just Googled every single one individually to see if they might have money and seem like someone who might be interested. So like I didn't really email any actors, (laughs) because we're all broke. And then some of them wrote back and were like, yes, I would like to have a meeting with you. And a lot of those meetings ended up people asking for jobs that didn't exist yet, or people telling me I was crazy and this was impossible on the budget that I wanted. And I was like, why are you wasting my time? Um, but some of the meetings were good, and one of them was with Caroline Hirsch from Caroline's on Broadway, the comedy club, and I kind of just reached out to her and whim, because it's a comedy club, you know, she's never done a feature film either, but, uh, we had this amazing meeting, we just chatted for an hour about feminism and abortion access and the time period, because she lived through it, and she's this really ardent feminist, which some people may not know, and at the end of the meeting she was like, I want to produce, and I was like, okay, let's shake hands, so she came on board, and... Um, was integral. Yes, it. and if any independent filmmaker needs a more inspiring story about just banging on doors till you get your thing, whatever your thing might be, mm-hmm. that is probably as good of one as any. Everyone, everyone's <laughs> going to tell you no. Like, right. fuck them. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm mean, sorry you have, like, bitterness about not following your own dreams, but I'm going to do mine, so. Right, yeah. No, I mean, I've, I've told you a million times throughout this process, like, 
it's collect, collect your nose. I'm, it's about how I want to know how many no's I can get because you're, you know, you're yeah. not going to get a yes until you have a million of those. So like, I want to know, how, I'm actually trying to find the way I, the mindset I look at it is like, how many no's can I amass? Before I get my yes. I still remember when, when we got rejected from Sundance and I cried. I was actually crying and I like called you and I'm sobbing and you're like, Kate, it's fine. You're, you're, you're just collecting the nose. Like, calm down. <laughs> yeah. It was very reassuring, yes. actually. <laughs> uh, I'm good. I'm good at negativity fueled. Uh, optimism? Optimism. Yeah. Yes, that's... <laughs> Uh, okay, so the... Yeah, you're such a grumpy dude. You're actually surprisingly optimistic in many ways. That's, the glass is not... Everyone assumes <laughs> every, Everyone assumes the veneer means that the glass is half empty. The glass is not half empty. I think you just know exactly how much water is in the glass. Exactly. It is fucking 50% on the dot. You know, that's what, I think that's the most uh, empowering understanding you can have in the universe. That, like, there's so many numbers out there that average out... It's 50%, no matter how you look at it. And you like, understand that's not good or bad. You know? Do it's it just, that way you It's will. just real, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, well, that's a little, that's a little uh, lofty for what this is supposed to be about. But, uh, yeah, so from your perspective, nuts and bolts of the production. How many shoot days? I guess we'll just go through, because there's so many, and we'll go through one by one. How many shoot days? 24. How many script pages? I think it was about what the length of the film ended up being. It was like 108. I don't remember. I'm asking you. <laughs> uh, number of speaking roles. Seventy-four. Average daily crew head count. Oh, thirty. I'd say about that. Yeah, agreed. Uh, estimated cost per plate for meals from who and from who those meals were sourced. Wait, I I argued it down, but I don't remember what I ended up arguing down to. It was either seven or eleven. Uh, it was really good. I was proud of myself. I think. I love what? that you're here to answer these for yeah, me. Yeah. Like, yeah, no one's going to remember this. It's just funny because food is like with independent film making. Food, like keeping, your, keeping everyone fed is like the baseline minimum yeah. of environments that you have to create yes. for, for work to get done. So uh, talking about the actual cost per plate of food to me is a funny uh, number to hit. I know. I, I argued it down to be something I want to say maybe nine. I want to nine, yeah. Right in the middle of my guess. Yeah. Yeah, cuz I mean, be, no I feel like I argued it down from 14. Like I started at 14 and I got it down to Right. I mean, yeah, no, it. my yeah, cuz I, I work with Joanne a lot. Maybe she would hate that we would be talking about these specific We're still we're still friends on Instagram. Yeah, yeah of course. She likes, yeah, yeah, she's, she's great. Yeah, she's fantastic. Except she's uh, that might be you know, I moved from New York to LA last year and that of course means losing uh, a great deal of my day-to-day Rolodex that I have access to mm-hmm. uh, for um below the line production crew and Joanne might be my saddest loss of, of that whole roster because yeah she's she's pretty great yeah she's yeah just amazing as far as you know caterers go she's just amazing with um, understanding small productions low budget mm-hmm. productions mm-hmm. being able to accommodate them specifically you know like you said yeah and this was a big film for, for low budget stuff in yeah. my opinion 30 percent head count we had a mm-hmm. ton of speaking roles um, and out of all of those people, I was the only vegetarian. So she always made a right. special well, yeah, that's, dish just you know, for me. That's like that's what I was kind of getting at here. She's uh, you know usually with a with a and that's big. Like I mean, I've done. She's catered films for me where we had a dozen crew people and just a handful of actors. So like 15, 16, 17 people total. Mm. If you tell like most caterers that you need because every 
it's entertainment people. That's you know you're gonna have some vegetarians, you're gonna have some vegans, you're gonna have whatever the, the dietary restrictions might be. Uh, and if you tell a caterer that uh, the seventeen person total headcount, they have to do specific plates, they're gonna tell you to go fuck yourself. <laughs> and and even if they didn't, they're definitely gonna make you pay out the ass for it. You know, mm-hmm. and she didn't, doesn't even change the cost per plate for being able to accommodate that. And that's incredible. Um, yes, that's Joanne Joseph in New York. If you're producing a film in New York and you need catering, yeah, she's talk, the one to go yeah, to. Yeah, Google Go Getters uh, LLC or Go Getters 06 LLC, maybe it is. Go Getters Catering and then Joanne Joseph and you'll find her. Uh, she's fantastic. So, yeah, I, yeah, anyways, I want to say we got her down to, uh, again, and honestly, I think, you know, I think this film has politics that Joanne is aligned with, and I think a big part of her choosing to do that, and that was a reoccurring theme with this project, yeah. um, was, to dip her rate a little bit, was because of what it was about. And that mm-hmm. speaks to having something significant to say with your film, helps a lot of grease the wheels on a lot of these things, you know? Honestly, it's what helped me plow through, even when it was hard, because I would just think about how much bigger it was than me. Like, it's not because I want to act in something. It's not just because I want to make a movie. It's because I want to tell the story of all of these women who've been forgotten and who are still unbelievably relevant. Right. Yes, no, it's... it's uh, I have learned that, too. Most I've said... You've heard me say probably a million times. Most of my movies to date are usually dark, little fucked up things. And telling a story with some social significance to it uh, makes it, yes, that much easier to keep from jumping off Wait, the roof when but, things get bad. But talk, about, <laughs> talk about how it's still in line with all of the other projects you've done because actually I love this. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, to me it's not, uh, well, first of all, it's not, to me, I'm not the most politically uh, charged person. So, um, not to say that I don't align with the politics of the film, but to me it's not for one, necessarily a political issue. It's a human, basic human rights issue. Agreed. The ability. And that's what the Janes said, too. Right. You know, uh, it's sad to me that it is a social or a, mm-hmm. a political issue that uh, anyone should be able to tell anyone to do with their body is insane. But, um, yes, to me, it's a fuck you film. Which yes. Is, which is the, yes, it's... Uh, <laughs> which is also appropriate where SF Indy right now. Right. Yes, it is. Yeah, very. Yeah, Jeff would be thrilled to hear, to hear this. Uh, maybe we can get it on a soundbite for his first yeah, promo yeah. for next year. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, the, you know, the, uh, all my films have an element to them, or I'd like for them to have an element to them, uh, I would hope they convey this element, uh, yes, that there's something about someone telling someone else, uh, justly so, fuck you, you know, and that's exactly what I think the Janes were doing, I think they were, and, you know, on a borderline global level, like, telling the system, like, you gotta be fucking kidding me, fuck you. Mm-hmm. We're gonna do this, and we're gonna do it our way, and the way we see is right, because that's what we believe, you know, yeah. and that's as good of, a, uh, good of a message as a film can have, in my opinion. So yes, that's what keeps me going when I want to jump off the roof uh, <laughs> and ask for Jane problems. <laughs> um, okay, so uh, where, I guess just the one more little context thing, where in the production timeline flowchart are we with this? Um, you I would just... say we're approaching the end. Um, there's still... Oh, I got news, Kate. Are there is not... no end. There oh is no end. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> uh, it just keeps going. There it is was... no end. Even once it's distributed, <laughs> the problems and the issues and the day-to-day dealing with it do not go away. Really? No. You know, oh, this never. Man. I told you, this, it's, a, it's a child. Which it's, is a, like, it's a special needs child that you'll never, never not have to deal with in some capacity or another. Yeah. Well, I started this in May of 2016, and now we're in January, February of 2019. We're still, we're still going strong. Um, well, we're, we're approaching the end of 
negotiations. The film being, yeah, the end of negotiations for distribution and the end of, like, finalizing a cut. Yeah. Right? Well, the cut's finalized. We're, no, I, well, well, I guess we're changing the music still. Yeah, yeah. the music's a big piece of it. That's a whole, that's worth talking about, just yeah. from a... So with with this film, we uh, against one of two people's recommendations in this room, uh-huh. we uh, <laughs> used a lot of music um, that uh, was kind of I guess the way to, best way to term it would be studio level. There's a couple. Mm. There was an Aretha Franklin song. There was Bob a couple Dylan. Bob Dylan songs. Uh, um, <clears throat> and yes, yeah, some of the people in our camp wanted thought it was very. And I, you know, I, it's not that I don't agree that music because it's a period film it's set in the late 60s early 70s so it'd be fantastic to have renowned music that people can connect to immediately upon hearing mm-hmm. um from that time period so it's not that i don't get the the incentive to use it but it is a very expensive thing that i did not i did not foresee us having the ability to uh license full commercial rights in perpetuity when it came mm-hmm. distribution time like we're at uh so we uh, as a compromise on this, kept those songs in the film, secured festival rights, which are infinitely less expensive <laughs> than commercial perpetuity rights uh, for, for like an actual distri- uh, commercial distribution use uh, to secure, and played festivals with that with those songs. Mm-hmm. And now that we are getting to distribution, um, the reality of the cost of those uh, is being imposed upon us, and yes. we are basically having Aya, who did some of our other music in the even festival um, soundtrack for the film, make music to replace those songs at a more uh, reasonable rate. <laughs> Which honestly, I actually like better. I mean, I I always said that this could go one of two ways. It could be music from the time period, or it could be contemporary music that sort of highlights the juxtaposition. You know, we have this period film, you know, the, the actors are in period dress, the, the setting, the actual events are all late 60s, early 70s, and then having this contemporary music to offset that and be like, oh, but also this is still completely relevant and everything they're saying is stuff that women are still doing right now in 2019. So we went the former and now we're doing the latter. And I actually think I like it better. I, her name's Aya Aziz. And she is a fucking incredible musician, and I'm. And she wrote music for our movie, and I love it, and I love her. Yeah, she had the. Um, you know, I haven't actually watched the film with it yet, like in its entirety. So it's I mean, I, so I mean, I, good. I've listened it's to so the songs; I know where they are and stuff, but I haven't actually watched the whole film in its entirety. The montage scene when they're making the, the signs. Is good. Oh my god, it's yeah. so good. I get chills. It's good. That's a fun scene, so it's good. Having mm-hmm. it scored well is important, I think. That was the last song, because she was like, I really, I have it, but I just, I really want to get it right. I feel like it's not there yet. So that was, that's why it was the last song. It was worth it. It's so good. Uh, yes, her, the, the, the song that was in the last uh, festival cut of it of hers. Fantastic. Yeah, um, she wrote the, the closing credit yeah, song. Which, the, that's, act, one of, that's one of the most important, yeah, that's one yeah. of the most important songs in any uh, movie. Because uh, obviously, it's so beautiful. Like, it's stuck in my head. Walking out of the theater. Uh, yeah, it couldn't be more perfect for this film. Um, so anyhow, yeah, so we basically, um, there was a lot of push and pull on that when we were making these decisions, and I was saying, we're never going to be able to afford these, and it's going to, we spent a bunch, you know, it's it's cheaper to, to get them for festival usage, but it's not free. <laughs> we spent plenty of money uh, to get them for festival usage, uh, and there was obviously a bunch of money that's spent on uh, both having the new music composed, having it mixed into the film, mm-hmm. uh, having the editor, the you know the the picture editor, 
put all that new sound into the film. So a lot of money was spent on this thing that uh, some of us knew was I pro- feel like... And I, I will give you this. I told you this. I will <laughs> give you that <clears throat> using it for the festivals has an undefined potential benefit that we can't ever know. That, you know, festival programmers who watch the movie and hear that Aretha Franklin song or whatever it may be are affected by that. And then, you know, we had a, a lot of festival success with this film and that's, yeah. of course, a big part of us getting to where we're at distribution-wise. Uh, so I can't say that it had no benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I will always be able to give you that. And, and to your... Uh, I guess maybe good fortune. There's no way for you to for me to disprove. <laughs> so I have uh, learned, though, with most matters that you take a firm stance on. I should probably just listen to you because you know what you're doing. That makes me so happy to hear. I wish I would. I'm glad we have that on record. <laughs> maybe that, that could carry on to future work for me and make my life less. Of, of, uh, I gave easier. you a glowing fucking recommendation for that job you got. Yes, no, I'm not. What do you mean? I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying I'm not thankful. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it would just make my life easier if everyone felt that way, <laughs> as it would anyone's life, probably, mm. uh, for for better or worse. Okay, so the talk to me about the most notable constraint, uh, and not just money. That's an obvious thing with, mm-hmm. with low budget uh, film production. Uh, not have enough money is a problem, but what did not having enough of that make most difficult for you personally? Mm. And this can be uh, because you, know you had, actually was you actually didn't say this at the beginning, but you are both one of the lead actors mm-hmm. and a producer mm-hmm. on this project, so and you were multiple. Actually, ads. what I was going to address yeah. because I come from an acting background. I've never produced a movie before. This was unbelievably more work than I anticipated, which is good because it's the kind of thing of like, if you know how hard it is, maybe you won't do it. <laughs> and I was just like, I don't care how I'm do yeah, it. Yeah, no. I've said more than once, if I'd have known <laughs> with my very first film, if I had any clue what went into the whole process, I highly doubt mm-hmm. that I would have ever done it. So, But I, I do feel, I feel like my acting suffered for it. Um, like I watched the film and it's fine. Like I do, an, I do a good job, but it's not amazing. And I could have, I could have been amazing. I know I could have. Um, because I just didn't have the time to put into it that I like to. Like, I, when I'm acting in something, especially a film, I like to be able to go just really delve deep into each scene. I'll spend, you know, hours on every single scene and just, like, break it down and, like, figure out how it relates to my own life and just really delve into the character and who the other people are to me and what our past relationship is and where we just came from and, like, what am I trying to get in this scene and what are my obstacles to getting that. Like, I really just, I want to go all the way in. And I couldn't really do that with this. I just did Chase, not have time. Chase is shutting the fucking bank card every five minutes. Or shutting off the bank card every oh five minutes. Oh my god. That was, that's, that's one of my favorite stories. Because I was, I was shooting that scene with Ben. Um, which is this like, we're in my bedroom. We're making out. It's like this romantic, intimate scene. And we cut. And our um, props woman comes in and she's like, Chase shut down my card. I need to buy the hospital Which bed. Which happened, I don't know how many times. Like a security. That was the third time. Yeah. I know. That was the third time. <laughs> so I, like during the cut, as they're moving the camera, I get on the phone with Chase and I just yell at them. And I'm like, you can't keep doing this. I promise you, this is my, my employee and she really needs her card. We have to buy these things and it is a time constraint. And do not shut down her card again. Thank you. And then I have to go back into the scene. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so that's one, you know, I do a lot of multiple hat wearing too. Uh, a lot of the things I direct, I've acted in, I always am producing these things. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm the writer in a lot of cases, which, you know, 
maybe maybe not does have a on set role. Um, I think I think it it's, it certainly helps. I think to have a writer on set. Um, it was know. amazing having Rachel on set right. as the writer. Uh, I understand it. It's 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 tough with the writer if it's a different writer because you can have different opinions then and I think having mm. different different opinions at that exact you know at the heat in the heat of the moment on a set between a writer and someone trying to execute the writer's words can be a problem but if the writer isn't that way and is you know understands that some things are going to get a little massaged while we're shooting just because we have constraints and we can't do everything exactly the right way or the way it was initially intended uh, it is nice, certainly, to have that like reference material, basically. Well, and, and to have a writer who's not afraid to kill your darlings, right? Because like that's, I'm, that's exactly I'm thinking about yeah. the the scene. The Rachel's when fantastic. We shooting, never yeah, when we we're yeah. shooting at the jail, um, right. there were super time constraints. It was crazy, and there were a bunch of scenes that we just did not have time to shoot. And because right. Rachel was the writer and was not afraid to kill your darlings, she, she could just, just economize this, and be this, like, this, "Yep, yeah. these are the scenes that are superfluous. Like, yes, it would be nice, but we don't absolutely need it." And I, I couldn't do that. I'm still sad that we don't have those scenes. Yeah. yeah, I told her more than once that, you know, first time director, that's certainly one as a producer. You're kind of like, how is this person going to react when things get fucked up? She's so cool. <laughs> yeah, 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 she was She's super so amazing. grounded and chill. And yeah. like, even when she's stressed, she's still like, okay, yep. so we're going to do What are the options? Blah, blah, blah. What are the options? Okay. And then she'll walk away for a minute and go, okay. <laughs> she's so, she's yeah. so calm and reasonable yeah. and I love her. Yeah, which is beautiful. Because uh, not everyone's that way. But yes, yeah, anyway, back, back to wearing multiple hats and how that can affect your ability to do any one of specifically of them, uh, maybe to a lesser degree, uh, is very interesting to me. And I mean, you know, the filmmakers I admire most, many of them are people who do that because I think, in one sense, yes, maybe you're all, I mean, I, my, my, I agree in that I think you're always going, it's some degree of suffering is going to be imposed onto those other roles why you have to deal with something else. It's just literally, there's only so much time, you know. Um, and, and brain activity <laughs> that you can devote to, to the different roles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, I also think it's very interesting, like the skill of being able to, in the moment, balance those and get enough for each role out of that moment is like, I think, one of the most impressive Balancing skill acts. sets to have, you know? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, some of them, I mean, you know, the Duplass brothers and Clint Eastwood, even. Like, I mean, you know, there's things that you don't agree with Clint Eastwood about, but. Uh, from a creative standpoint, I mean, he acts in, directs, and 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 is, has a writing role on a lot of these, you know, huge productions with an incredible Oscar-winning movies, and he finds a way to to do all those things in a way that work. You know? I find that a lot of the actors who I most respect their work and who I'm excited by are people who are also producing those projects, right. like Jessica Chastain, S.E. Davis, Lena Dunham, like all these people who are making their own work. Right. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah, 100%. like. Don John was fucking incredible. That was a fun movie, yeah. Um, yeah, no, it's, it's a very impressive skill to be good at. <laughs> uh, okay, so we just talked about, you know, uh, the constraints of low-budget production and not mm-hmm. having enough money. Do you have a memorable benefit of it? Um, I mean, I find, and the, the idea behind this is, I find that having less money often forces you to make creative solutions. And mm-hmm. on more than one occasion in my past making films, I've found that concession I made ended up being what I perceive in retrospect as an aspect, uh, asset of the, the end product. Is there anything like that that you can think of with As for Jane? The first thing that's bringing to mind is just the spirit of it. Because I, I am enjoying the parallels between the actual work of the Jane Collective and our little movie. Because... 
it, it was just this this underground indie movement where they just saw this need and they jumped in to help people and it was it was you know and I guess maybe this is more with the story that we have than with the actual because the the people in our movie are are fictional like we we didn't base it on any exact women because we didn't want to bump into life rights but like my character is is this sort of like quiet like wants to be an activist but is pretty quiet about it like follows orders doesn't necessarily jump in and, and start things herself and then she begins this whole initiative and I I just enjoy the parallels of like me as a producer and being like I haven't done this before but I see this need and I want to tell this story so I'm just gonna fucking do it so I, I like the indie aspect of it. Like, I like that we didn't have a ton of money because that doesn't seem appropriate for what this story is. This isn't, this isn't a big budget story. This is, this is an indie, like, revolutionary story. Well, Amazon feels differently. No, I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, that's cool. Uh, do you recall an instance uh, of someone else in the production, this is not you, uh, that you observe, of course, overcoming those low budget constraints. Can you think of an instance of, you know, a production designer or whatever, doing something where you're like, holy shit, that was a good thought. I didn't think that person had the resources to achieve that. Uh, is there anything that you can think of specifically? I and mean, it's okay to say, you know. Like maybe, no. maybe Miriam. Um, Miriam was our, our, what's the actual title? Production designer. Production designer. I was yes. saying props master because I was thinking theater. Yeah. <laughs> Thursday was the props master. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Basically. Well, Miriam and Thursday together, they just, they accomplished these beautiful set dress things that I was like, we have no money and this looks incredible, especially like The Office mm. with Sarah. Um, we had 54, I guess that should be in the, the list of things there. We had 54 locations, shooting locations. Many, most of which were interior because we had to, we, we definitely didn't have the money to dress exteriors for periods. So no. <laughs> we, you know, Rachel had an understanding from a writing perspective that we had to yeah. make these most. There's a lot of people in rooms talking. Exactly. Uh-huh. And that, what that, while that saves you money in a macro sense, it does require that you find a lot of little minutia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a production design job that, you know, yes, she... That was, it, was a, it was a funny balance because like, I also produ- you know, production managed, so I was dealing with the day-to-day, like, inter-crew strife. And, you know, our, our production department, our, I had um, a production coordinator who was basically kind of just the key PA, uh, and then he had two daily uh, production assistants, mm-hmm. and that was our entire production team, you know. We, we only had, we had a first AD, but he didn't really have to be called yeah. first because there was no second. Right, exactly. Yeah. So, and, you know, there's, he's never leaving sets and he's not no. dealing with this interdepartment stuff. So, you know, those three guys jumped around a lot and mm-hmm. we get used less so by camera, but Art was the one that was particularly understaffed and particularly overworked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that meant a lot of them jumping in to help and... You know, Miriam didn't... It's First of all, her first feature, and that's not, like, mm-hmm. discredit. It's just, you, it's just shit you can't possibly know until you do it. <laughs> Especially with a, something of this magnitude. So, yeah, on a day-to-day basis, I was, like, juggling, like, you know, they just simply don't have the manpower, her and Thurza, to, to, to achieve mm-hmm. a lot of the things. And it's, like, it's not her fault that some of the shit's going wrong, but some, some shit would go wrong. Mm-hmm. And then, like, they're the only ones that are kind of, like, catch-alls 
to help out. So if something did go wrong or wasn't in the right place or wasn't on the right whatever, yeah. they'd be the ones who have to swoop in. And I'm constantly like juggling like they're overworked and they're like, you know, both of them are angry because things aren't working. Everyone's bitching to both of them. You know, it's just like it was one of the funnier. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty level-headed when it comes to production management. Um, so I'm kind of just sitting there listening like you both need to just chill out. Like everyone knows. Something's gonna be fucked. We don't have mm-hmm. enough money, and everyone's just gonna kind of deal with that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, but they yeah, did she had a work with what they with the resources they had. Yeah. Like the so we had a whole bunch of we we shot so we had two uh, access to two houses um, that were donated to us by another member of our theater company, the shelter, and we shot in every single fucking room of those houses that we could. More than once in some cases. More than once in some cases. It's just re- dressed a little bit differently. Yeah. Um, and he had a whole bunch of these old books that he said we could use, and so. Uh, Thurza and Miriam would take these books and, and like put little barcodes on each of them individually and then they would be library books and then take the barcodes off and then they were the books in the bookstore with Linda and like that's an exact specific example yeah it just looks beautiful they did a beautiful job with it yep agreed agreed had a very had a very difficult environment with which to do that Mm -hmm. from what is the biggest mistake you've personally made on the project to date hmm <laughs> I was gonna say anytime I didn't listen to your recommendation, and I was like, no, we're gonna that's, do that's it. A, that's a good answer, Kate. <laughs> it's it's true though. I mean, I I don't want to like call yeah, I mean, out cl- any. Well, clearly you can't. You, one, you can't throw anyone else under the bus with this no. question, and two, uh, there are things you just can't talk about. But within the frame of like things that are okay to be public knowledge, because you know every production is gonna have shit that just goes wrong that <laughs> it's not meant to be talked about, but. Uh, especially in low budget situations where you don't have enough shit. I guess I'll, I'll just, I'll say this and then you can edit it out if it's not okay. <laughs> I would just, uh, I'm going to put it in vague terms. I, I would just with crew heads, especially like really interview them, maybe even get a reference or two, make sure you jive with them on a personal level because when you're down in the trenches and shit is going down, which it inevitably will on a low budget film, you're going to want people who you also just get along with. Um, and so I would have deferred to you in more of those decisions. Yeah. Uh, hiring protocol. That would be, that would be my biggest. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Hiring protocol. The thing I always say about it is one, and this is, you know, I don't know if this is a positive or it's probably a negative, but there's, there's always more people looking for work than there is work. So, you don't ever have to put up with bullshit, basically. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? There are enough talented people out there that uh, you can find someone who can do the job really well and also be a person that is amicable, at least amicable, <laughs> to be around for four weeks in a fucked up work environment. And maybe be clear on expectations and like exactly what, because like just because someone says, oh yes, I understand what an ultra low budget film is, right. like make sure they actually yeah. know what that yeah. entails. Yeah, and that's, you know, I, I do this with even with even actors. Like when I'm, you know, granted smaller roles, this isn't, uh, doesn't work as well, but uh, when I'm hiring leads for one of the things I'm directing, like I sit down, I want to sit down and spend, and I do meetings, I do general meetings for like, 45 minutes and I just sit and talk to the person and usually there's no level we might read some shit from the script back and forth but very casual not at all in an audition environment and it's much more predicated on just I want to know who this human being is I don't give a shit I can look at a reel I know I can look at the reel and whether or not know whether they can do the job I know Rachel did that for a bunch of the leads she talked to Ben she talked to Cody right and yeah that's huge because you, you, yeah, you just you, when you put them 
some actors are really good at auditioning, and it's like a very, you know, it's a very defined flowchart. You walk into a room, oh, be a little entertaining, be nice, smile, do the performance really well. I'm a great actor, of course I can do that, and then get the hell out of the room. And like, that's a very different exchange than mm -hmm. sit down, hear questions, I don't know what they're going to be, come up with answers, and maybe even if you're good at interviewing, push the person a little bit in one way or another, uh, and see if you can get like undesirable rises about things or like you know even when you say to someone <laughs> like okay we're doing a low budget production we don't we're not you're sitting there uh, about to do a job or about to shoot a scene and you don't have this this and this what which one of those things do you need to tell me no we can't do this scene with and I want the answer none of them I can do them all <laughs> you know I mean word the question in a way where you can get the thing that you don't want them to say out of them and no. I used to work at a hedge fund. I worked at a hedge fund for three years um, and I was a manager there so I had a lot of interviews. Like I was the one doing the hiring. Um, and so I learned a lot of things about interviewing people and one of them is uh, asking questions that are story answers and like always try to have the other person talking more than you. Like you want it to be like a 30-70% ratio. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So. Yes, that certainly applies to film too. And yes, maybe check references. Yeah, no, you check. You don't check references. The, the references people give you are useless. <laughs> you need to go look through their filmography and talk to people they don't know you're talking to because that's yeah. how you find out actual that's information. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, if you ask someone to give me references, they're not going to give you the thing that they fucked up no. or the person that they fucked up with. Or if they do, that's also telling about them. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Either way. Um, okay, that, I mean, that's... Pretty much it for the project. I guess give me the cursory, how can we follow the project? And Wait, we didn't do the voice memo story. Okay. <laughs> you said I should. Yeah. Well, just, we're, we're recording this podcast right now on a voice memo yes. on an iPhone. And I was like, oh yeah, the quality is great. Actually, one of, the, one of the lines in the movie, we did a little light ADR and I just did it on my voice memo and it made it into the and film. just went and emailed it to, to Will? Emailed it to Rachel. To she Rachel. sent it to Will. Yeah, yeah. Um, that is indie producing. <laughs> <laughs> but if I say it, then you're going to be able to tell because I can tell. Of course. When I watch it. Of course. Should of course, I tell you? No, not here. No. Okay. <laughs> Have, e email me at the, at, at the, uh, via the website and, and give me your guesses if you actually are a human being who's listening to this. Oh, yeah. Good has idea. seen the movie. And if someone gets it right, I'll absolutely. Did they get a prize? Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll come up with something. If you're able to get it right, uh, I'll, I'll give you a something. A nice mocha. Yeah. That's what I have right now. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Thank you for my mocha. I'll time. sit down and bug you about filmmaking for a half hour. <laughs> That's what you went. Um, Following the film. Yes. We have a Facebook, which you always get mad because I forget about it because I don't do the Facebook thing. Ask for Jane. Uh, Instagram at Ask for Jane. Do we have a Twitter? I don't use Twitter either. I think you started one, but we don't really. It's not very active. No. Um, and then I don't, I, the idea of individual Twitters for films is excessive to me. But. Yeah. Uh, and then Twitter's like a full-time job, which is why it scares me. It's too much. I have other jobs. Uh, and then the website, askforjane.com. Um, on the website, you can subscribe to our mailing list, which I send out periodic emails about festival updates and news. And then you can also email us at askforjanethemovie at gmail.com. Mm -hmm. And are there any dates about it that are worth talking about? 
Um, Turnaround needs to be know. quick, so. Yeah, I don't, okay, I was going to say, I don't know when you're going to share this with yeah. people, but we have a screening at the SF Indie Festival at the Roxy <laughs> Theater. If I get it up, I, I, I probably will have it up by Thursday. Tonight. Yeah. Well, tonight, yeah. <laughs> Sunday. It definitely won't be up for tonight. Uh, and also Thursday the 7th. Right. And also on Thursday the 7th in New York, we're screening, we're the closing night feature for the Big Apple Film Festival. Which is cool. And That's then our on, first New York screening. Yeah. Or New York City screening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the next month, March, which is Women's History Month, too. We're screening at the Athena Film Festival on Saturday, March, is that the 2nd or the 3rd? I think it's the 3rd. March 3rd, Maybe Saturday. Maybe March 4th, but yeah, the Saturday of that first weekend of March. Yeah, which is cool because I'm an alum of Barnard. It's the Barnard Film Festival, which Athena. Very cool. yes. mm-hmm. So I'm going to, they invited me to like an alumni reception after. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. Uh, and then we also have Fargo coming up. We have Omaha coming up. Omaha doesn't want us to say anything until after this podcast will come out, so maybe... We'll just cut that part out. I probably won't. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we have Fargo, which is, I think, I want to say the 18th and 19th. Of March. Of March, yeah. yeah. Or that weekend, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, Fargo Film Festival, late March, and then... Is that it for now? I think that's it for now. And then yeah. maybe in theaters in summer? Uh, yeah, that? The, yeah, we're, yeah, we're looking at, we're looking at probably late, mid to late May mm-hmm. for the commercial release date. Mm-hmm. Select um, theaters, New York and LA and other cities, TBD. I know DC is likely because Lady Parts Justice League is really interested in hosting a screening. Portland will make Well, sense. I think we haven't got into it, but I think, I think the tug model for this is really good. You know, and and uh, clearly, if, I mean, I, I, even that though, I don't know, because I think it caught, you don't, we can probably get screens in places Without having to do P and A spends mm-hmm. and having that negative charge against against the revenue stream, because you can we can probably get organizations to just sell the tickets basically before we even book the theater, mm-hmm. and there is no negative advertising expense necessary. You know, so that's something we'll talk about. But that's a, that's not your job to be on our production meeting like this <laughs> as, as a listener of this. Uh, okay, so the last thing uh, I want to ask is. Define the phrase independent filmmaking as you see it. Mm. Independent filmmaking is making films without having to listen to someone else telling you what you can and cannot do. I think it's just being able to express your own voice and your own story without without the man putting you down. <laughs> Fucking A. And your socials and anything else you want to schlep. Uh, sure. My Instagram is Kate Courtleo, C-A-I-T-C-O-R-T-E-L-Y-O-U. I'm also at katecourtleo.com. I've got a mailing list too, and I send out things about live performances, my D&D show, <laughs> um, I have my own podcast, the Pussy Power Podcast, and cool shit. Cool. All right. Thank you, Kate. Thanks, Josh. Thanks for listening to the first installment of the Filmmaking the Hard Way podcast. And thank you to Kate for uh, taking the blind leap of faith that was being the guinea pig on this on this first first episode of, of this thing. So uh, going forward, I won't be posting episodes with any sort of predictable regularity. Uh, basically, when I have the opportunity to talk to filmmakers uh, uh, that work in the micro to low budget range, I will do so. And if they let me record it, I will post it on here. <laughs> so uh, the best way to keep up with, with new episodes of, of this being posted uh, would be to subscribe on whatever platform that you listen to your pods on. It'll be on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Android. And uh, if you like what you heard, please do rate and review with as many stars as you're willing because 
that helps other people find this thing uh, a great deal. And that's certainly what I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to help as many many other filmmakers as possible and and have as many other people hear what these, these talented people are, are saying about their process uh, as well. So please help me do that uh, by doing that. And if you want to follow me, you can do so on Twitter, at uh, Josh Folan, just my name, J-O-S-H-F-O-L-A-N. Uh, or on Instagram at my shift key is broke, all one big word, no punctuation in there. And you can find my production company website at nyehentertainment.com uh, if you want to check out any of my past film work or my the other podcast that I do uh, with my little brother called Imperial Scrolls of Honor that uh, focuses on retro gaming. So yeah, thanks again for listening. Till next time.